Good morning. Good to see you. Um, really glad you're here today. And I, I'd like to take a moment before I launch into the message just to congratulate those who are here that have graduated this weekend. Um, I commend you and all the hard work and diligence and persistence and effort that it took to arrive at that spot where you walk across and get the, I don't know, when I went across, I didn't actually get the diploma. I got like something to put it in, but you get that mailed to you later. That's maybe <laughs> maybe what happened, but congratulations, you did it. That's amazing. Um, we are, as you saw that roll in, we're in uh, a message series where we're trying to recover the image because it gets distorted. But we're trying to uh, look at God's original plan and design. I mean, very briefly, obviously, in 30 minutes or so. You can't look at the whole thing, but we can look at some essence of what God, His intent is. And we're, we're looking at God's design for the family, for manhood, and for womanhood. Last week, we, we dug into God's original design for marriage and family. And the Bible gives a very clear picture of this. Uh, one man, one woman get married, and his, in, his intent is for them to fill the earth, to uh, raise godly children if he blesses them with children, and look beyond themselves to the generations that are coming, and try to live in a way that blesses those generations in, in a tremendous way. Now, no one or no family is perfect. It's just the way it is. We, we, the family you grew up in isn't perfect, wasn't perfect. The family you live in now, exists in, isn't perfect. But the way it is, the more we understand how God intends things to be and the more we grow toward that, uh, the more we experience His blessing in life and how He meant life to work. And so that's, that's why we're doing this, not to discourage anybody because they're not perfect or their family's not perfect, but primarily to help, help us move toward what God wants in our lives. Um, today, we're going to look at God's design for manhood. Next week, womanhood. And that's the one that scares me, frankly. The womanhood. I'm, I'm going to have some help from my wife. And so Alex next week is going to have some help from his wife. Um, because I, I try to be very careful as a man when I talk about womanhood. <laughs> but that's coming up next week. Um, we launched the series with this passage, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Looking at God's design and realizing we were made in his image provides a tremendous amount of clarity. Um, trying to figure out how life works can be like putting two pieces of a puzzle together. And the picture on the box of the puzzle really helps you put the pieces together. In, in the Bible, we have the ability to see the whole picture, what God originally intended, His ideal for our lives and the way that life flows best. Um, most of us, have a picture of what we want from life. We have a picture of how we want life to flow. And we get that picture in mind, and 
then we try to find sources of guidance who are going to help us put that picture together. It could be uh, sources from our upbringing, people who are close to us, maybe our parents, uh, our education, some expert that we, we really admire and value and makes sense to us, or even a, a religion that helps us put this picture together. We rely on those sources and we go about trying to put the picture together of our lives. Um, in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at God's pictures presented in the scriptures, in the Bible. And uh, this is what it means to follow Christ if you're on your way to following him. What it means to follow him is uh, you, you commit to living life his way. You commit to finding out. As you can't know everything when you decide to follow him. But you commit to getting into the, the Bible and understanding what he says about reality, his picture of reality. And then you adjust your picture to his and you allow him to shape you through his word, the Bible. The Bible becomes your, your source of guidance. It becomes your guide. According to the Bible, men and women are given very different strengths and wiring. And they're designed to be like two pieces of a puzzle that fits together. Men are not supposed to be like women. Women are not supposed to be like men. Uh, we do well when we celebrate the differences of men and women and the strengths that are inherent in these differences. If we celebrate those, we go well. Um, the problem is today and probably uh, over time, the lines keep getting blurred more today probably than in the recent past. The lines keep getting blurred between men and women. The strengths of men and women that God built in to complement one another uh, have become the very things that generate a tremendous amount of frustration with the opposite sex. And in reality, these, these lines of difference can't be erased because they're indelibly etched on our being. And so we do well to celebrate this. And that's what we're going to try to do here. We're, we're really celebrating what God has done because there is a beauty to the way He's wired men and women together. Today we're looking at men primarily. So I want to launch from there. When God created Adam, he formed the general template for all men. And we can go in the Wayback Machine, we can go back to see what God said there about Adam. And we can learn some important things uh, about men in general. As I said, next week we're going to look at the template for women. But there are some clues to manhood in the first chapters of the Bible. We're not going to read through those. Or we're not going to look at even some passages from those. But I want to just pull some things out of there that you can read through. If you read through Genesis 1 through 3, you'll, you'll see that's the source material for what I'm talking about right now. Adam uh, was the name given to the first man. And Adam is tied to the noun Adama in Hebrew, which means ground. So, I don't know if you've ever, if men, I don't know if you ever felt like dirt, but that's kind of the first man that might, might, might be tied to that. I don't know. I've felt like dirt before. Um, but anyway, Adam comes from the Hebrew Adama, 
And it shows the man's focus. It's an outward focus toward the world. It, it gives you a clue as to that. There's a groundbreaking study done several years ago, I think in the 90s, from Canada to researchers who did some, some research, and they came out with a book called Brain Sex. And they talked primarily about the different wiring of a woman's brain and a man's brain. And they did this study of, of preschool. And they, they, they noticed the differences between the men and the women in that preschool. I mean, sorry, men and women in a preschool, that's scary. I'm talking about the opposite of that. No, the kids in the preschool, uh, they strung, like they'd string a barrier across and the girls would go to the, the edge of the barrier and cry to get to their parents. The boys would do little forays and try to figure out if there's a way around the barrier. We're wired differently. It's just the way we are. On the playground, boys, uh, they play games of aggression, competition, and high action, while the girls tend to cluster at the side talking with friends. Now, these aren't, these aren't universal things, but typically this is what you find. I think if you think about it, it's what you experience. Men are de designed to have an outward focus toward the world. And next week we're going to find out women are designed primarily to build networks of relationships. It doesn't have anything to do with capability. It doesn't have anything to do with how well one gender is going to do in a certain job as opposed to the next. It does have to do with about, uh, it has to do with the way you're going to accomplish that, the way you're going to go about getting it done. But in giving consequences, continuing on with Genesis 1 through 3, in giving consequences for man's rebellion, God built in frustration in a man's work. And this is a major clue to his native perspective on life, or a man's native perspective on life. So in those first three chapters, you discover these things. This is what you find out. Men are made to go out into the world with humble, competent intention to do good to accomplish significant, something significant in a resistive competitive environment. This is, what, this is our wiring. It's what we're wired to do. When Adam sinned and rebelled against God, you can read about that in Genesis 1 through 3 as well, the template or the image was marred. It was warped. Like a bad signal on your TV. You can't see what's going on through all the snow, through all the... the the lines being crossed. The picture is no longer clear. What, what's amazing is that guys who are wired to be intentional to go after the good in each circumstance now struggle with seriously with passivity. We struggle with being passive and not stepping into make a difference for the good in the circumstances that, that we're dealing with. That's, that's a result of rebellion, the warped picture that we have. Instead of each person now knowing what it means to be male and female, uh, the image has been distorted. So ultimately, if, if you eliminate the distinctiveness of the genders, which 
there's certainly a movement to do that today. Families, relationships, and all of society suffers from it. It's like trying to listen to a rich symphony on your cell phone without the headphones. You know, it's just kind of mono. You, you don't hear it all. You put the headphones on, it gets a little richer. You go live and wow. The whole symphony played out. All the strings and all the horns and, and all the drums, all the instruments, you, you, can, you can make those out. And if we, if we try to meld the genders together or uh, really devalue the strengths of one as opposed to the other, we lose out on what God intends. He intends a richness to life that both men and women bring to it. Um, both genders have a lot to bring to the table. Whether it's the family dinner table or a conference table at work, we have a lot to bring. And we, we have different strengths that play into that. Since we, we've all rebelled and gone our own way, we too experience a, a bunch of confusion on the differences between men and women. And we, we're trying to sort this out, and there's a lot of frustration because... You know, if, you, if you're a man trying to relate to a woman, it's sometimes hard to figure out what's going on. If you're a woman trying to relate to a man, it makes no sense what they're thinking and doing. And it can be extremely frustrating. What we tend to do as human beings is we tend to look at the out, outward appearance. This is, tracks way back, thousands of years, uh, in the, the first part of the Bible where uh, Israel was picking a king. And they picked a king, and God, he didn't do very well, the first king. God picked the second king. And he said, the problem is with you men, you people, the problem is you look at the outward appearance. But I, I look at the inward appearance. I look at the heart. That's what matters to me. And this is what we tend to do. Um, there's a phrase that guys use. I, I've used it, and I still use it. You're the man. You are the man. You, know, you ever? I don't know if you ever use that. I've, I've told my daughter, you're the woman. It just doesn't have the saying ring. Yeah, because she is the woman sometimes. Like, man, you are the woman. That's awesome. Um, but we use this phrase and we, we, you know, it's like, it goes something like this. It's a congratulation. You got the job. You're the man. Yeah, you got the date. You're the man. Hey, is this your car? You are the man. That's awesome. You're the man. You obliterated the competition. You, you're the man. <laughs> you, you are something else. All of those things that we tend to, you know, you're the man about, uh, those, those are outer trappings. Those are outward things that aren't bad in themselves, but the Bible's ma measure of manhood is very different. Doesn't, doesn't have to do with the outward trappings. Doesn't have to do with the outside. Looking good and feeling good uh, doesn't make a man. Uh, making X amount of money doesn't make you a man. Being the king of the hill also doesn't make you a man. On the contrary, the Scriptures show us that men live by God's design when they take initiative and bear responsibility, particularly. This is, this is two specific things that 
mark manhood, and we're going to look at some more qualities uh, in a little bit. But 1 Corinthians 13.11, it's, it's this verse that we're looking at is tucked into a passage, a chapter on love. And it's, it's a specific kind of love. It's God's kind of love. It's very difficult love to live out over and over and over again. It's a manly love, really. Um, it's, it's tucked into, this is what it says. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Here's a little context. It's a, it's a letter written to newer Christians. Um, Paul started the, this church in the first century. And he's describing what it means to love. And this love has a specific definition. It means doing what's best for the other person regardless of how I feel. It takes a man to do that. It takes a woman to do that. You, know, you have to be a mature person. To pull that off. Um, in this context, uh, Paul gives the picture of moving away from childish thinking. He, he's describing that we understand more and more of God's plan for our life as we intentionally drop our childish ways, our childish thinking, our childish speaking, and uh, our, our childish reasoning. This, this is important. A child, you know, they have little responsibility and little leadership. They aren't expected to really do much. That it doesn't make, they can't handle a lot of responsibility. We have to grow into that. Um, kids aren't meant to do that. They need parents. Yet God calls men specifically to leave immaturity to be the man God's called us to be. Let's look at some of the specifics of this. Let's give some thought to this. Growing up means I give up childish speaking. How does a two-year-old speak? I have a couple grandkids now. I can tell you how they speak. Sometimes there's a lot of whining and complaining and I want this and demands and boy. Sometimes they don't get what they want. Woohoo! It gets... Uh, out of hand, out of control. Thinking. A two-year-old thinks with a filter. This is their filter. I want what I want. I want it. I should have it right now. This is how they think. It flows from self-centeredness and a very simple approach to life. Their reasoning. The word reasoned in this passage means to take an inventory, to account for something. Thought is given, in other words, if you're mature, thought is given to what should be the highest priority in the situation. A two-year-old is only focused on the here and now and getting what they want. They, they don't have this, re, you know, like I, when my grandkids hit my door, uh, they start wanting to do their favorite things in our house, one of which is to get a knack, a knack. It's snack is the word, knack. I want knack. And, you know, go to the pantry, try to get the knack. Well, you kind of, is it right before dinner? May not be a good time for a knack. And then pretty soon it's pop-pop, which is popcorn. They, you know, the, one, one of the guys, he goes to the pantry, pulls out the popcorn maker, you know, because he wants it. He wants it now. Well, that may not make sense. 
We might have other stuff going on. He, he's like, I want it. That's what kids do. This is how they reason. They think in childish ways. And they speak in childish ways. Paul says, boys shouldn't be boys forever. They should grow up. And this is a choice. What he's saying here is this is something we choose. Boys give up childish ways to become men. It's not automatic. You, you have to decide. If you're a man here today, you, you have to decide once and for all to be a man, and then you have to keep deciding. I'm going to be a man. We can grow up by giving up our childish ways. When Paul states, I gave up childish ways, the idea of giving up means to abolish. To, to bring to a complete end. To obliterate those childish ways. When you recognize them welling up in you again, you stick a knife in it. You, you give them up. You stop it. You've decided, I'm going to be a man that God has made me to be. And you ask, now that takes a lot of strength. You ask for God's help in that. You ask Him to help you become the man that He's created you to be. And God can help us. He can help us give up in maturity. And He calls us forward to be the men that He's made us to be. Now, I'd like to turn the corner and, and look at more specifically what this looks like. And we're going to go to another book in, in the Bible in the New Testament uh, in Titus chapter 2, verses 2 and 6. And it's aimed at men. These passages are aimed at men particularly. book of Titus is a New Testament letter written from Paul to Titus. Titus was a guy that Paul led to Christ. He helped him become a Christ follower. He was his traveling companion. Spent a few years working with Paul, strengthening churches, starting churches, getting them going. And uh, so he worked with Paul. Paul saw the different problems crop up in churches and the things that they needed to deal with, unhealthy patterns of relating, and uh, the spiritual leadership that was needed. So he saw all this going on. And at a certain point, Paul left Titus on the island of Crete to lead the, the Christ followers there, the Christian movement on the island of Crete. And so he left them there. And his job was to pass on all that he had learned from Paul uh, his job was to develop leadership and instruct the people in how to do church life and relationships and then to keep trying to help other people become Christ followers on the island. So this, that's the backdrop of what is behind these words that we're going to look at here. Um, in, in these verses, Paul gives Titus manly qualities that all men need to grow toward. This is what he's doing here. Titus 2, 1 and two, and then six. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, this is like a custom-made list for guys. It's, it's a custom-made list for the men in this church, and therefore for us. Uh, next week, we're going to look at a custom-made list for women. It's but it's not a, a photograph of the best-looking guy in the world. It's not a snapshot of, uh, you know, some stud athlete. It's, 
it's, it's, a, it's a list of character that a real man possesses. It's not the Dose Keys guy saying, I rarely drink beer, but when I do, I drink Dose Keys. I mean, that guy's cool. Okay? They did, a, they did a pretty good job creating the character. He's cool, but that's not, that is far removed from what you find here in this passage. Uh, he's addressing older and younger men. But these are qualities that all men need to grow toward. Men are made, we said, to do good in a competitive, resistive environment. The energy that they bring to any given situation is different than women. Not better, just different. Our, our God-given wiring, coupled with the energy that we're given from that, can go very wrong and bring much damage in a very short amount of time as we're handling the flow of life. And so this list here is custom-made for guys. And the qualities listed are chosen for men so that we can bring a laser focus to do the right thing in the circumstances we're dealing with that will accomplish the good God intends. That, that's what's behind this passage here. So let's break down the list. It says sober-minded. Um, that, that could be translated restrained or temperate. And it's a key thing for guys who use self-restraint. The template is warped, we said. So the strength of men to go into the world to do good, even when facing adversity, turns toward impulse and reckless acts to get what I want. If we're still in the childish ways... We're impulsive and reckless. A sober-minded man avoids extravagance, overindulgence, and impulsiveness. His priorities are in the right order. He doesn't use his strength for his own selfish purposes, but he holds it back. He holds things back. He uses restraint to accomplish God's purpose, to allow God to work as well and accomplish His purpose. Now, I will tell you, if I received a million dollars today... I would use it very differently than when I was 15 or 12 or 8. I think same with you. But part of the key is being sober-minded. Next word is dignified. This word has to do with being honorable and worthy of respect. You know, we don't use it today in everyday language. Dude, you are so dignified. I mean, honestly, you're the man. You're dignified. We don't, we don't use that word, but... It's a very important word in, in this passage. It means honorable and worthy of, of respect. Godly men value people. They, they respect others because they bear the image of God and they don't use people for their, very for their own purpose. Now, this is because of our wiring as men. I think women struggle with this too. But because of our wiring as men, it's very easy to look at people as objects that we can just move around and put in a place to help us get accomplish what we want to get done. Very easy to do. That's not what a godly man does. He's dignified. He, he respects the people around him. Godly men screen their humor. Um, no put-downs. We don't put people down with our words. Godly men don't. Um, we screen our ideas. We base our ideas on 
walking with God, what God says in Scriptures and our understanding of that. We let it begin to shape. And these guys are respectable. They're dignified because they show respect to others. Because when you, when you give honor, it comes back to you. And that's, that's a very important thing. Self-controlled is another characteristic. The Greek word uh, has to do with exercising restraint over our impulses, emotions, and desires. Men can be like the dog and up. You know, squirrel, squirrel. Yeah, <laughs> the, dog, the dog was all over the place. Um, we can get distracted by everything that's going on inside of us. Godly men don't let their passions distract them from doing the good that God wants them to do. Self-control. We, we keep ourselves under control. Men were sound, godly men, uh, are sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Faith means I take God seriously. That means I stay inside the boundaries He set for life, and I trust Him to come through since I'm limiting my options by staying inside His boundaries. Men must stay focused on love, uh, loving God, and loving others. This is, like I said, a God, uh, God's kind of love. It takes initiative. It goes first. It sacrifices for the good of the people they love. That's what this kind of love does. Finally, uh, he says, men need to be sound in steadfastness, which means to hang in there, to don't pull the relief valve early, to hang in there um, and endure through the difficulty of accomplishing whatever it is, the good goal that you're trying to work toward. Don't, don't pull the plug. Don't pull the relief valve. We do that in different ways. But don't pull it. There's a word picture tied to this word. It means you're in a battle, you're swinging your sword, and you're cut off. You're surrounded by the enemy. And you're cut off from all reinforcements and you keep swinging the sword. You keep fighting. You keep, this, is, this is what we're to do. This is addressed to older men. Uh, some of the worst decisions of all time have been made by men in their 50s. David and Bathsheba. Horrible, horrible decision. Because you get to your 50s and some of the pressure gets off or you're just tired of doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it's a danger zone. You pull the relief valve in the wrong way and ruin your life. So the, these things are addressed then. A key assumption behind this passage is this. You don't ever retire from walking with God. And you never lose the need to grow toward being the man God wants you to be. This is a daily choice. It's a daily thing. Now, there's an image of Moses on the screen. We can, we can skip that. I think that's from a movie. I meant to take that out, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, but Moses, he looks kind of young there. You know when he parted the Red Sea, when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt and he parted the Red Sea? He was 80 years old. 80. One of the most epic moments in history where God is doing some amazing things. Um, he was 80 years old. John Wesley. Here's a picture of John Wesley. It's up there as well. Um, he was a famous 18th century English church leader, preacher, and theologian. 
At the age of 83, after having preached 40,000 sermons and writing 200 books and pamphlets, he regretted that he was unable to read and write for more than 15 hours a day. 83. After his 86th birthday, he admitted to an increasing tendency to want to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. That challenges me. I talked to a guy in my network of churches, our network of churches one time. He's an 81-year-old man at the time. He was still, he was still working. I said, Kral, I'm thinking we don't get to retire. And he said, no, we don't get to retire. And if you're, if you're a, a believer, if you're somebody who's decided to follow Christ, you never retire from walking with Him. None of us really retire from ministry, ever. Nobody does. If, if you've decided to follow Christ, He wants you to try to let Him change you and then let Him begin to lead you to help other people as well. This is what we do. passage goes on to say that younger men need to double their effort on self-control. It's probably obvious why that is because younger men uh, have, have more raging in them than the older guys. Paul writes this, Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. That's the second time he said it. This is the same word. Um, and self-control is mentioned again for the younger guys because it's easier to be reckless and impulsive when you're young. And, and it's easy also to develop lifelong habits and reap consequences from what you do in your early years. So double up on self-control. Make sure you're that way. God's Spirit can grow these things in us as we surrender to Him, as we ask Him to, as we take ownership, as we determine to be a man. As we ask for God to help us, admit when we're not men, God, that was a childish thing to do and say, will you help me, God, to man up here? Will you help me to take responsibility? To, to be the man that you want me to be. I want to be intentional and do what you've called me to be. For those of us who are the father of boys, um, it doesn't just happen by accident. We've got to set the example of what it means to be a man and then figure out how, how to call out the right things in our, in our sons and how to help them grow towards manhood the way that God intends. Um, looking at the next generation, uh, we have a role to play in that. Uh, as we set the here in church life, there, we can set the example. We can be the men that God wants us to be. Uh, we we could be the heroes of the next generation. We just don't want to give ourselves the hero award. You know, nothing worse than somebody who brings out their list of what reasons why they should be the hero in somebody's life. But just you just do it. Your, your part and my part is to stay focused and to ask God to help us become more sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. To be the men God's called us to be and made us to be, really. I'd like to wrap up the message uh, by asking you to think through your next steps today. If you would, please pull out the connection card as the band comes up. Pull out your connection card. Uh, out of the program or uh, wherever you left it. And then 
If you have some more information to complete, fill that out. Uh, or if you'd like to take one of these next steps that I'm suggesting, just let us know. And then when the offering comes by, you can drop that in the offering. Here are my suggestions on the next steps. Uh, first one, memorize Titus 2 and 6. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, and sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Likewise, the younger men or urge, urge young, younger men to be self-controlled. I, I like to memorize short verses like this that remind me of what I need to move towards. Really very helpful. And then secondly, identify a childish way to give up. Maybe you've been childish this week. Maybe, maybe you just need to abolish that. Stick a knife in it and say, I'm not going to do that any longer. But identify one and ask God to help you just give it up. Determine to be the person God made you to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word that always gives strength and guidance to us. We ask for Your help, Father, to step out and uh, obey You and honor You and do the things You've laid on our heart this morning. Give us the strength, God, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.